Okay, good. Apparently, Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie have a bit of a running competition. Uh, they both boast having the most comfortable climate and the most attractive lifestyle in Australia. Uh, maybe it's flicker coin. They're pretty good places to live, I reckon. In fact, when we moved up to the mid-north coast to a little town called Bonnie Hills, uh, just south of the bustling city of Port Macquarie, uh, I think in a week we had uh, people say things like, welcome to paradise, uh, welcome to heaven on earth, Welcome to the lifestyle capital of Australia, uh, within a week. And I think that makes Bonnie Hills and probably Boambi and Tormina and Sawtell and Yurunga and Coffs Harbour pretty dangerous places to live. Dangerous because we can kind of think we've arrived, that this is what it's all about. Uh, that if only we were able to settle into a community like this one, then we'd be happy. And I think God's been shaking that up a little bit of late. Uh, go back to October last year, I think you guys were being hit by fires around the same time that we were. Uh, we were among the early uh, adopters of fire. Uh, we got the resources uh, with the, 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 uh, the ship boats, you know, that scoop up the water and dropping it and, and the fire retardant jet going past and so on. We got all of that happening while people's homes were being threatened. And uh, when the smoke settled, well, it took a long time to settle, there were people that we knew who'd lost their homes, people who'd had to evacuate, people who'd lost their properties, uh, their livelihoods. And, of course, that was just the beginning. It kept on going through till February. And I think at that time, it was a serious invasion to our thoughts that we've arrived, that this is where it's at. And uh, I was very, very proud to see the headline that Port Macquarie was the most polluted city in the world on one day. Uh, they, they published the figures for New Mexico, for Beijing, for all kinds of different places, but Port Macquarie had figures about 10 times what these polluted cities have. And we lived with that, didn't we? We lived with the smoke, we, we lived with the discomfort and and it was a very difficult time and uh, of course we'd been praying that God would bring the rain and then God did bring the rain and it rained and it rained and it rained and in some parts uh, of, of Australia they got hammered, absolutely smashed by the floodwaters. Uh, in Canberra where we came from they had 30,000 vehicles written off by a hailstorm in one day. 30,000. Um, incredible insurance damage to homes as well. Uh, and people were injured just through hailstones that were literally smashing the mirrors off sides of cars and putting deep gouges into the bodywork of vehicles. You know then, don't you, that you're not in heaven. Uh, that's not what you're looking forward to. And, uh, and we even had a, a cyclone in, in uh, Port Macquarie. It came across the river, it lifted the roof off a house uh, on North Shore and did a, a huge amount of damage, only to a small number of places. But again and again and again, we've been reminded that we're not in control. But I think these have all been preparation, if you like, for the big one, the one that's now causing great fear. 
the one that's not just confined to the east coast of Australia, but we've seen it in China, we've seen it in, in Italy in serious numbers, we're seeing it invading the rest of the world, over 114 countries, I think, is the last count, that one disease is spreading. And it's creating quite a bit of fear, quite a bit of chaos, a massive amount of anxiety and uncertainty. Uh, maybe you've been affected by that. I have. I've been affected by that. Uh, I, I don't tend to be a, a very anxious person, but after a meeting with my doctor last week, who I didn't get to see, I got a replacement doctor, they said, well, you've got a one in two chance of dying if you get this particular disease. Now, they don't have a crystal ball, they don't know, and I do have bad lungs and I do need to be careful. But this sort of thing, and then you see it impacting people that, well, they're people that I know about at least, like Tom Hanks, and then uh, Peter Dutton in our own parliament, and it won't be long before there are people in our community, people in our street, people in our schools, people in our workplace, people in our churches. And as Tim said before, we have a message of hope. And it's at this time that we need to cling on to that message. Now, we've been corresponding with a friend who lives in the north of Italy in a, a city called Trento. Uh, and in the region just to the north, it's been one of the hardest hit places. Uh, the other night he wrote that 160 people died in that little province uh, on one day. And all the schools have been shut down, all the churches have been uh, shut down, and there are serious kind of implications for what's going on. But this friend of ours who went there to be a missionary, uh, in his, uh, he, he's not, well, let me say, he's the closest thing to Mr Bean I've ever met. Uh, he looks like Mr Bean, he sounds like Mr Bean. And we all thought, how are you ever going to work as a missionary? But cross-culturally, it seems to work. <laughs> um, but not only that, in his kind of nerdy quirkiness, he decided that he would create a computer program to help people to read the Bible in Italian. And so he created a translation of the Bible in Italian and then a program to study it. And he posted the other day that there's been a 30% increase in people reading the Bible since the virus hit Italy. And you know what the most popular passage that people have been reading? Psalm 90. So this passage that we're about to have a look at, this is a long introduction, isn't it? Is that okay? It's too late now. This, this particular passage, people have actually turned to at a time when they have every reason to be fearful. And I think it's, it's a sobering reality check, this particular passage, but it's not without hope. Now, when Tim read it, he actually skipped the introduction. Uh, when, you, when you have a look at the Psalms, sometimes they tell you who it is who wrote them. And this is the only Psalm that we have that's written by Moses, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And if you know a little bit about Moses, he was a... He was the figure that God chose to rescue God's people from slavery uh, and to lead them to the very edge of the promised land. He's, he's like the, uh, the saviour of the nation of Israel and he's getting us ready for the saviour who is Jesus who will save us not from captivity in Egypt but from our sin and from death and from judgement. 
And Moses is a man of faith, but he has a faith that works for him in the face of reality. And the reality is a harsh reality. It's actually the reality of our mortality. Now, I had thought of talking uh, on the topic of you know, why you need a midlife crisis, but I think the nature of a midlife crisis comes when you realise that your days are numbered and you've probably used up more than half of them already. And so what that does for you then is, is kind of puts you into that feeling, hey, the clock's running down now and I don't have time to do all the things that I'd really like to be able to do. And so even if you haven't thought it on those up years, you know, from, from infancy up into school and up into university and early marriage and so on, when you, you're still thinking you've got all the time in the world to do whatever you want to do, now you start to realise you've got to make some priorities. Now there are some things that really matter a whole heap more because our days are numbered. I think the coronavirus is giving us all a bit of a midlife crisis. And we can use it for good or we can miss the opportunity. Let me just highlight some things in this psalm. It's a psalm that talks a lot about our days and uses time images. So it speaks about God being our dwelling place for all generations, talks about God being from everlasting to everlasting in the first couple of verses. But by contrast, people don't have everlasting to everlasting. Uh, verse 3, return to dust, you mortals. Uh, for God, a thousand years are like a day or a watch in the night. And yet for people, we are like the new grass that springs up in the morning and when the winds come, it kills it off by evening. So with God, you have eternity. With people, you have mortality. And probably the clearest description of this is down in verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Now, you don't need the Bible to tell you that, do you? Uh, you could actually go to the Australian Bureau of Statistics and they'd tell you that the average life expectancy for a woman in Australia is 85 and for a man in Australia is 79, which just goes to show you should always, men, marry someone six years older than you. That way you can live together for the whole of your life. Um, now, the reality is that, you know, you, you say if someone's living into their 80s, they've had a good innings, don't you? And if somebody's cut down, you know, in their 40s or even more tragically in their teens, then it was far too early. There's some sense of thinking that, that we've all gotten an allocated amount of time that's right, that we deserve. And, and these days, it's, it's even pushing up beyond the 70 and the 80. And it's, it's not uncommon for people to live into their 90s and occasionally for someone to get a letter from the Queen when they make it to 100. In fact... Uh, the person who took over my role as a pastor at the church in Canberra, his grandmother lived to 107 uh, in the ACT. Now, for all of this, we're being reminded of something that our society doesn't want to talk about. We just hide away the fact that our days are numbered and we won't live forever. 
death is not something we speak of, it's not something that we see frequently. We have these things called hospices and so forth, and it's not a part of our natural existence. Of course, it is in many parts of the world, but not for us. But it's not simply that we're mortal. Um, we know that. Everybody knows that if, if they're honest. It's the reason for our mortality. And this psalm brings that out. Because it doesn't simply say we are destined to die, but it says we're destined to die because we have been destined to face judgment. See, when we turn our back upon God, when we sin, when we push God to the peripheral of our lives, when we decide that we'll do quite well without God, thank you very much, then God brings us under his judgment. Um, and for Adam and Eve, it was to be cast out of the garden and to be cut off from the tree of life. And ever since then, death has been the destiny for all. But a destiny which isn't simply physical death, it's a death to being raised to judgment. And in judgment, we have the consequences of our sinfulness. And this psalm talks about that as well. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. See, it's not just a natural thing. You live and then you die. It's that God is actually bringing the sentence of death into our lives. Verse 7, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. And it goes on and, and speaks of this in other verses as well. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, Just as it is appointed for people to die once and after that to face judgment. That's the future. That's what we need to come to grips with. Put it in your calendar. One day you're going to die. One day you're going to face judgment. Now, that, that's a pretty harsh thing. But that's the nature of a midlife crisis. That's why I'm suggesting you have it early. Because if you have it early and then you realise what God has done about this problem, then life takes on a whole new outlook. How does Moses respond? Well, he's a man of faith. And what we see in this psalm are, I think, at least three um, calls to respond. And they're, they're three prayers to God. The first of them, I take it, is in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the first response to recognising that, that our days are numbered and we stand awaiting the day of judgment is to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I don't think that means to you know, try and work out how many days we've got. I think it means to make our days count, to make them worthwhile, to, to make them days of, of meaning, of substance, to make the most of the life that God has given to us. Not just to drift, not to coast through life assuming we've got all the time to do everything that we could ever want to do. Not being so casual about life that we ignore priorities. 
that we ignore things that matter more than other things. But to actually put that understanding that we've got a limited time to work in our lives so that we fill that limited time with the things that matter most. Make the most of your life, the life that God has given you to live. Uh, a simple reminder that, that one day our days will be up. So live in the meantime in a way that counts for eternity. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Um, there's another prayer, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we've seen trouble. It's interesting that, isn't it? Um, if, if I can paraphrase verse 15, um, make us happy for as many days as you've made us miserable. Um, it's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. But, but I don't think it's quite as silly as that sounds. Moses has a perspective on life that's not a, a kind of gloss. It's not painting over the rough spots. Moses knows that life is tough. He knows that there's sickness. He knows that there's pain. He knows that there's threats to our existence. He knows that there are things that are just really difficult to get through. And he's saying, make us glad in the midst of these trials. God, give us joy when things are going badly. Help us to trust you in the face of uncertainty. Help us to be contented even when we don't know where the next thing is going to come from or how it's going to affect us. See, God is the one who's able to satisfy us. And the, the prayer here is that we might be satisfied in the morning with God's unfailing love. To be satisfied in the morning. And what about the evening? What about the afternoon or the night time? I, I think what it's saying is every new day, Lord, satisfy us with your unfailing love. May we find refreshment and joy, contentment, satisfaction in your unfailing love for us every single day. Now for Moses and the people of God in the Old Testament, it was probably to look back and go, wow, we were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and God has now rescued us, brought us into the promised land. We are now God's people, even though life is tough, Gee, God, I am so thankful that you've planted us here. But for us, we're able to look back to an even greater saviour, to look back to the Lord Jesus, and it's there we see his unfailing love. When you look at the cross, when you look at, at Jesus dying there for you, you have pardon, you have forgiveness, you have a complete fresh start. All of your debt has been cancelled. How much more reason do you have to be satisfied on a daily basis? You don't know what you're getting up to. You don't know whether there's going to be storm clouds or whether the sun will be shining. You don't know whether there'll be a fire raging or whether floods will be coming through. You don't know if you're going to face a cyclone or hailstorms. You don't know whether the virus is going to affect your neighbourhood, 
your school, your church, your family, yourself. But you can find satisfaction in the loving kindness of God. See, if you look to your circumstances to, to, to kind of work out whether God loves you or not, you know, one day it'll look like he does because you'll get a check in the mail. The next day it'll look like he doesn't because there'll be a bill to pay that's bigger than that check. You see, if you look to the circumstances, if you want the sun to be shining and it's raining, you'll be disappointed. Or if you want the surf to be large and it's flat, you'll be discouraged. You see, if you look to your circumstances, you'll be like that little child that gets the daisy and pulls off the petals. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. You'll just be tossed to and fro by your circumstances. And sometimes those circumstances will be devastating. Back on the 2nd of December in 2011, out of the complete blue, I was diagnosed with stage 4 terminal lung cancer. It came from nowhere and it came like a hurricane. And I was being told that I probably had 10 to 13 months to live. And I faced a crisis at that point. Can God be trusted? Is Jesus my saviour? Did he die for me? Has God raised him to life? Is there hope for my future? If there's not hope in this life, is there hope in the life to come? And I had to go back and explore all those things again and find answers to those questions. And to be reminded that the evidence for God's love didn't lie in the circumstances, whether I was in the hospital bed or whether I was at home, whether my lung had collapsed or whether I was able to breathe again. No, the evidence for God's unfailing love is seen outside Jerusalem on a cross 2,000 years ago. And there's another prayer here. Look in the last verse. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, I don't think that this is a prayer for God to help us finish off the renovations to the house that we've been working on. I, I think if you go back a little bit to verse 16, it says, May your deeds, God that's implied may your deeds be shown to your servants your splendor to their children may the favor of the lord our god rest on us establish the work of our hands for us yes establish the work of our hands if we see god's work at work through our work i think what it's getting at is is god i want you to work through what i do so as to bring glory to yourself so as to make a difference for all eternity Friends, we are facing very uncertain times. There will be people around us who are living in extreme fear and we will grapple with anxiety ourselves, I'm sure. If you haven't already, then you will. And at times like this, you need an anchor. You, you need something to, to actually hold you firm in the face of the storm. 
Can I use an anchor illustration? Do you, do you remember um, one of the cyclones that took place up on the far uh, north coast of Queensland a few years back literally hammered the Sundays. And I remember seeing an interview with uh, a woman who, who had, I think it was about 28 of those um, boats that you, you sailed yourself. And she had a whole fleet of these things and I think all but one of them had been destroyed. Now, she thought she'd taken pretty serious precautions. They'd been lashed to the pier, they'd been tied up to each other, um, things had been battened down in the face of the cyclone. But you see, all that did was hold it to something else that was insecure. And so they got beaten and smashed and the insurance bill would have been massive. And I've been told that if you really want to protect a boat in the face of a cyclone, don't attach it to the land, don't attach it to another ship, don't attach it to something insecure. No, take it out to deeper water and attach it to an anchor to the west, an anchor to the east, an anchor to the north and an anchor to the south and give it a bit of room to move around in the storm and it will be kept safe. We need an anchor. That anchor is the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satisfy us, God, with your anchor. Amen. with us guys stand if you like